We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. John McKechnie, Mario Puig hanging out with you, getting you ready for week two of the NFL action. But as I was sitting there on Sunday afternoon, kind of taking in all the games, Mario, I couldn't have I couldn't fully understand how happy you must have been at certain points. Like, you know, you're not the victory lap guy, but I mean, John Ross going off. Uh, there, there are a few other examples. Lamar Jackson doing what he was doing. Marquise Brown doing what he was doing. There, there are several like guys that I feel like I've kind of taken the cue on from you, and they just went off. So I feel like it was a good week for and Sammy Watkins, of course, as well too. Uh, Watkins was the only one that I actually noticed. Really, I was there was enough other things that I was getting pissed off about <laughs> that I guess I didn't. Uh, I was tilting too hard about the 49ers and Buccaneers to notice, but yeah, the only one that I had to restrain myself was the Sammy Watkins one because I really don't mean to do like victory laps. Like I, I like to make fun of other people who do victory laps, right. so I can't uh, get caught doing that myself unless it's like an egregious case where I've I've got just like 
you know, an unreasonable number of haters who are just trying to ruin my life. And, you know, like Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry last year, that was one time where it's like, I actually kind of was just like, you, where, where are you? Don't answer that question. I don't care, but I know you're out there. Yeah, you're scurrying to your bunkers. Yeah. Your little ticks are like <laughs> scurrying under the, under the shade of your rotted foliage that you live in scared to, to defy me openly now. But uh, I didn't do that this week. It's not that it's not that serious yet. But Tyreek, or I'm sorry, um, Sammy Watkins, I think is number two on our wide receiver ranks for this week. So, oh yeah, and uh, to be fair, I did not see that coming. I uh, had him on the bench in an NFFC league, so that was cool. I uh, had Curtis Samuel in instead. Um, but yeah, my best ball teams aren't uh, aren't susceptible to my stupid lineup impulses so those were okay i I didn't manage to screw those up quite yet okay so at least there's that um so throughout uh, today's pod we're just going to kind of do keep our format from last week just kind of quick a couple minute hits on each of the games hitting on from uh, the player angles the the spread angle and the over-unders as we navigate uh, through week two but before that we've got a message from our friends over at yahoo the nfl season is officially underway which means yahoo daily fantasy football has returned there's a million reasons to enter the free yahoo cup on daily fantasy and they're all dollars. That's right. Yahoo Cup is free to enter, and a perfect lineup will win you $1 million every week of the football season. It's as easy as entering the contest and picking your players. If you're over 18 and a United States citizen, there's no reason why you shouldn't take your shot. Yahoo Daily Fantasy Football has new contests every week with guaranteed cash prizes. Even if you don't score a perfect lineup, you can still walk away with it from a game with a little cash. Choose Yahoo Daily Fantasy today. Get started now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. So obviously, um, with the timing of this podcast, we will skip over the Thursday night game because it will have already happened by the time most of our listeners are tuning in for this one. So we'll jump right ahead to Sunday slate, uh, starting off with Baltimore playing host to the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona looked completely dead in the water the first half last week. and First then, three quarters. Yeah, it was unreal. And then, you know, a lot of people, speaking of victory laps, I mean, everyone that that faded the Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury thing was really, really on, the, on their, uh, or feeling themselves. I think they that. might win that one, which is, I guess that was another thing that I was super pissed off about Sunday. I was tilting so hard about that. And then the San Francisco Tampa Bay game. And that was I, going on at the same time too. So it was like doubly yeah, terrible. I was so mad. And <laughs> it's, it, it turned out okay with that Arizona game, but it was like, I definitely took away from it that this just means Detroit is stupid. Not that like Arizona is going to be okay. And certainly going to Baltimore, I don't expect the Ravens defense to get whatever lazy, uh, complacent, whatever the issue was with Detroit. Like with the Ravens, I'm worried it's going to be four quarters of the first three quarters of the Lions game for Arizona. It, yeah, it could get rough. I mean, Baltimore is always really good at home and that's been like established over the course of, you know, basically this since 2000. Um, so they're really tough at home. They obviously looked really explosive last week, but I've been trying to gauge how much to really take away from that because if there if there's one team that really like is almost non-applicable to the rest of NFL teams, it's Miami. Yeah, they're not. They should get uh, demoted to, uh, I don't know, what what underneath the NFL would be. But they should get sent to some kind of like arena, sort of like the, the, a Midwestern they arena. They do the, league the Alliance Football League and then uh, have it fold. Yeah, again. it's uh, it's bad. I mean, 
I I don't I don't exactly have like a top ten worst teams of all time list that I keep track of and, and maintain. But it, in terms of just my like off the top of my head memory, I don't remember seeing a team like that where they just uh, they can't do anything. There's nothing they have going for them at all. The players look bewildered on the sidelines. Like they 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 were so like they were beyond the point of being mad about what was going on on the field. They were just sort of like like a, there's like a great sideline view of albert wilson just looking off into the distance with like a thousand yard stare of just what what is this why am i here again yeah it's so bleak and like dreary and meaningless there that they've all these guys are just kind of like involuntarily getting getting put into these uh you know they're getting all like existential philosophical on the sideline like do I even exist? Like they had this, the question came up probably to most of them. I'm in Miami. I'm a rich man. I should be happy. Why do I feel like this? It's like, what is this, you know, this, this like limbo dimension that I've wandered into where like all, all meaning and truth is suspended. And, and there's this goofy Dumbo eared moron up in the, the, the uh, luxury suite looking down at me eating uh, peanuts. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, what? How did you end up here? What, where? Where are you going? How, what does any of this mean? Like, what's something's wrong? What is it? <laughs> so, yeah, that, it's uh, it's not going well in Miami, and we'll, we'll get further into that game uh, a little bit later on. But for for as far as this Baltimore game goes, thirteen point favorites, uh, over under setting at at forty six. I feel like the overs in play here because I think that Baltimore can score more than their implied total of 29 and a half. I think that they, they're more likely to score like between 31, 34 points. I think the Cardinals will score anywhere between 14 and 17 to enable that over to hit. But I expect Baltimore to cover in addition to that. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? And then uh, let's get into a little bit of the skill position guys here before we move on. Well, I don't see why Arizona would get anything going in this. And I can imagine the Baltimore offense more or less having its way and scoring on defense once or twice too it's possible so i'm pretty concerned about the arizona offense setup but if they do uh put something together it might have something to do with the ravens having their cornerback depth tested and yep. with someone like earl thomas there i don't think it matters nearly as much but jimmy smith being hurt and uh oops uh like brandon carr was their slot guy when they opened up last week and then smith getting hurt i think he was right corner and uh anthony averitt is the replacement there and he seems like he might be decent at least yeah, so it's not damn like, a guy yeah it's not like he's um you know a, it's not like the smith downgrade is specifically the issue as much as that the cardinals will play four or five wide pretty much the entire game and it'll it'll be just different for the ravens like they're probably not used to teams going four wide on them the whole game because they're probably used to teams going uh you know more bunched to get more tight ends to help with blitz pickup things like that and if arizona sticks to their method they'll do exactly the opposite in the most you know aggressive manner so it's an unknown and when there's a total unknown i mean you can recall the the ronnie brown wildcat offense it's like the first time you face something weird it might just catch you off guard sure even if the second third even if if, even if the times from second to 100 after that are just like total demolition for the defense that first time against a goofy gimmick scheme they might not be ready for it so with four receivers running like 60 routes in the game uh i think that it it'll be you know at least a test of their kind of endurance 
in depth. Uh, but it might not matter because the Arizona's offensive line is bad. Kyler Murray, they didn't use him as a runner. And that's another thing that I was kind of pissed off about from Sunday because he threw 54 attempts and ran three times. I thought it was I thought it was going to be like a five to one kind of thing. Like if he threw it 50 times, I'd assume he'd ran it 10. Sure. And uh, it's because why would you why would you try to put yourself in the position of needing to trade Josh Rosen to take Kyler Murray if not to use him as a runner in some way or another, because like all your the the upgrade going from uh, Rosen to Murray, as far as he was applied in that offense last week, is literally that he just gets shorter. <laughs> like that's that's the upgrade. Yeah. Because uh, why not take advantage of that speed? It's going to make the defense uh, handle everything differently. The containment, the coverage alignments, they have to adjust for it, and uh, the Lions didn't. Like they never they never threatened them that way. So. It could have been a little easier on them if they did it that way, but until they do, is there's no reason to think that they'll uh, get Murray going as a runner. And uh, you know, this is a very like specific question because you know Baltimore has Lamar Jackson. Do you feel like Baltimore's defense is more like if Arizona does shift gears a little bit, maybe try to get Kyler Murray active a little bit more in the ground game this week? Baltimore would be kind of like uniquely suited to to go up against that because of what they face in practice. Oh, uh, maybe I don't know. Um... Like they probably weren't seeing the looks from four wide so much. It was probably more like, you know, the the two tight end uh, spread that 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 it has its similarities. But the four wide is just a little different. And I've never seen anything like the box score from those receivers last week because uh, it it literally was four receivers playing sixty or more snaps. I believe like someone like Demir Bird, uh, who is fast, and it's like you you got to run with him when he's out there. It's like just because he's a no-name guy doesn't mean you can not cover him. Exactly. So uh, it's just they, they put a lot of mileage on you, and especially if the if the corners are, are conditioned to, like, turn and run real quick. It's like Murray's really fast, and it's uh, it's just weird that they, they didn't explore it more last week. But um, I think in any case, I still don't have that much optimism for Arizona. And on the other side, particularly since the top two corners are out for Arizona, it's like, Marquise Brown, uh, Willie Sneed, Boykin, Mark Andrews, like they should be a problem for Arizona. And if they're not, Lamar Jackson hasn't opened up the run yet. So we don't even know what that looks like in the context of this newer, probably improved offense. And uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to see why Lamar would fail for his part. Like, and if even if he does, they can probably just lean on that run game and give because uh what was it? It was almost like uh, 50 carries for Hill, Edwards, and, and Ingram last week, and it might be a similar thing this week. Yeah, it was, um, I think, off the top of my head, Ingram had 14, Edwards had 17, and, and Hill did the rest. Um, but yeah, Edwards, his function, like the reason behind his 17 carries was just, you know, that Mark Ingram, I think, dinged up his shoulder. He was limited Wednesday. Um and also the game was well out of hand. I mean, there was no reason to put additional mileage on your on your free agent running back. Uh, so why not just run Gus Edwards? So Yeah, and it's the same script, or it might be the same script this week, where maybe the first two weeks are Gus Edwards' two busiest games of the year, but it adds up that he would be busy this week. Whatever happens after this, it's like this, this particular script, unless Arizona's offense does rather well, because even if Arizona was... Uh, doing good on offense like Gus Edwards probably would get into the game on the basis of the tempo then because if Arizona is moving the chains they're going no huddle the whole time and they're just creating more plays in the game so if the play count goes up they turn to Gus Edwards if Arizona is just you know comes out flat they don't move the ball at all they put in Gus Edwards because the game isn't competitive so 
I think he'll be like a 12 carry kind of uh, over under for this one. And uh, that puts him on the flex radar, I think, in 12-team leagues because I definitely believe Baltimore is more likely to win by 14 or more than, uh, you know, than by uh, seven or less. So it's just hard to see Edwards not getting involved in that case. Yeah, I I think that he'll he'll be a factor as well. And uh, if you have Marquise Brown in leagues that start three receivers, you starting him? Yeah, I know... uh, he was listed on the injury report with a hip thing and he had his snaps limited in that game. But I think that must have had something to do with the script because Seth Roberts led them in snaps at receiver. Yeah, he had like 52. Yeah. And he's, I guess he's considered something of like a blocking specialist at receiver, which makes me so mad, but <laughs> uh, whatever. I, I guess it seems reasonable to me to guess that that's why he was out there because it sure as hell isn't for his pass catching ability. Um, and meanwhile, it's like, Marquise Brown put up his big numbers in like the first two drives. Yeah, like you, so you I think blinked it was, and it was over. Yeah, I think it was pretty clear that like they could have used him more, but they thought like this is this is cruel. We can't do this anymore to these uh, you know, like this 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 goofy I, Dolphins you, team that's you just say rapidly that they all, losing. They also ran a fake pun up thirty-five to three. So I don't know. <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, the punter probably didn't have a list Frank fracture or the the fake punt guy. So uh, it, it's. This is given true. the foot thing they were probably like okay let's uh we, we we can't really do the running it up thing with this guy we have to do it with seth roberts instead yeah so uh either way um looks like brown should be like you know he's one guy that you'll have to pay attention to on the injury report but i think he'll be good he's gonna be running against like tremaine brock who has been like the uh stopgap corner of like the past 10 years and and uh who, who else was it? Um, there's a bunch of guys that I j- just don't really know who are on that defense. And if if a guy like, uh, I think it was Eric Rowe that Marquise Brown torched in that game, it's like Eric Rowe is better than whoever the Cardinals have with Patrick Peterson and Robert Alford out. So uh, the matchup is really nice. And if Lamar Jackson throws for anything in particular, we have a lot of reason to think that Brown will go along for it more often than not. So yeah, I'm, I believe in uh, Brown certainly. And it's like the only way it goes wrong is if they basically don't even try to use him. And I, I feel like that's a long shot, even if Arizona isn't a threat to them. I agree with that as well. All right, let's jump over to the Bengals two point favorites here against the 49ers uh, 49ers coming off a, a win that was basically thrown to them uh, by the Buccaneers. <laughs> uh, the Bengals on the other hand, little scrappy a little pep in their step out in the Seattle. Bengals are awesome folks uh it makes a lot of sense we all knew this we, was going we, to happen yeah we called it we all definitely didn't put seattle in their survivor and didn't sweat <laughs> that out all afternoon yeah so that, that was another reason why i wasn't uh, doing victory laps sunday because uh you might recall john on the radio i think friday and saturday i was i was basically just like the Bengals are so dead. They've lost to this game already. Mm-hmm. Like, it hasn't played yet, but it's a certainty that they'll lose. So I was a little bit tweaking out over the course of that game in the second <laughs> half. I was just like, I willed this. I made this happen. I had to like calm myself down by by turning on the Chargers like Indianapolis game. Just and and that game wasn't the going well like, in the spread <laughs> yeah. either. Like so, yeah. Uh, so uh, I I blame myself for the Bengals being apparently awesome now and uh through my hubris i've 
you know, the, the universe has punished me in a way that is a gift to the, the long suffering Bengals fans. So I, you know, did a good deed. Jeff Erickson. Thanks you. Uh, yeah, he should. Cause I mean, if I didn't say that stuff, then, you know, Andy Dalton would have still thrown the ball 45 times, but it would have been for like 180 yards or whatever. And oh, yeah. 400. Dalton. Yeah. So, uh, that that game was insane. I was definitely happy to see John Ross get going a bit. Uh, do you buy it? Um, I think. I mean, I do in the sense of like, if you just throw the ball far enough at a guy that fast enough times, and yeah, something's going to happen eventually. Uh, I saw that he was still credited with three drops in the game, but that's that's one of those things too, where it's like, well, if he does 150 yards and two touchdowns while dropping three passes, I'd sooner wonder like. So what happens when he doesn't drop three passes then? Because what else are we going to say? Like, well, well, you know, yeah, he had a big game against the Seahawks, but usually he's going to drop five passes a game or something like that. And it's, unless you think that's going to happen, then, uh, you know, th- he, in a way, got the worst part done with already. Right. So I uh, still the most fragile guy in the league. I almost wonder if he has that like mitochondria disorder that the one baseball player had where he just kept getting hurt. Like I've never seen a player like Ross – get hurt in such a varied way like he he has kind of like chronic knee issues but he's been hurt like pretty much every way you can be and and some bad ones so hopefully he just kind of did the santana moss thing where he's hurt and does nothing for two years and then becomes the player he was supposed to be uh, this week was or last week was certainly a good start as far as that goes yeah that was that was definitely one of the bigger surprises of week one i'm sure that um the fab for him do you have him in in the stake league uh no someone must i feel like because i i feel like i looked at the uh he'll be i'm sure he you know waivers in most leagues have run by this point so i'm sure that he was he was a pricey guy out there i think like him mclaurin uh mecole hardman were kind of like the the and chris conley too probably the bigger uh wide receiver pickups this week and they're all interesting to varying degrees i have shares of those guys to varying degrees but let's get into san francisco for a minute um let's look at this passing game and then let's look at what this backfield looks like. Cause uh, Raheem Mostert is a guy that like <laughs> I loved from his days at Purdue yeah. um, and has been sort you know, like he's seen glimpses at the NFL level, but it seems like he's going to get a legit shot at this point. So arrow obviously pointing up for Breda this week, but I mean, what's like Mostert's utility for the next few weeks while Coleman's sidelined. Well, Mostert's interesting. Like you, I am pretty much high on him, certainly relative to, you know how how uh, obscure he is i feel like it's at least the, there's there's nothing surprising about what he's done uh it would be surprising if he overtook specifically Brita and coleman or at least i would be surprised but him doing what he's done with these opportunities makes sense because he was always if nothing else very fast like he was a track guy at purdue and he's done okay as a runner from scrimmage in the nfl but even if he struggled initially, it would make sense because he basically switched from receiver going into the NFL. He played a lot of receiver at Purdue. So for a guy who's maybe still learning the position kind of and is as fast as he is and has a history of pass catching, it's like, yeah, he's of course he must be useful. I don't think he'll overtake Brita, but uh, you know, nine carries for 40 yards in a game that Brita really struggled Moser gained some ground. I just kind of expect Brita to gain it back over the next couple of weeks. Okay, and st- starting here for for this week with Coleman being out, Brita in your in your lineups as like an RB two or flex. 
Well, I'm so low on the 49ers offense right now that I don't I, for flex. Yes. But uh, and also the Bengals defense looked better than I expected it to. And I definitely so I don't know how that happened, but uh, my well. Schottenheimer. Yeah, Brian Schottenheimer. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that uh, San Francisco has some issues, but I do believe Brita is definitely good for his part. And I don't know. This, this is interesting because it's like Cincinnati was super up tempo. Uh, it's like as much as Cliff Kingsbury obviously gets that uh, narrative around him. It's like Zach Taylor uh, had that team moving quite a bit. And he has actual NFL chops like from. Yeah, I mean, I'm more impressed with Taylor than Cliff Kingsbury at this point, and I didn't even pay particularly close attention to that game. So uh, I think that the the game could at least give a lot of from scrimmage production, even if there aren't touchdowns, like even if the 49ers are too dysfunctional to actually move the ball by merit. And I don't know what the hell – I do think Kyle Shanahan is kind of losing his wits. I think he's kind of uh, – He's almost he's doing the thing where he's kind of like taking out his struggles on parts of the team that don't really have anything to do with it, like singling out Dante Pettis of all players and uh, giving him two snaps in the game and then saying that it was because he was injured. It's like, well, what the hell is he doing out there for the two snaps even then? Mm -hmm. If he's hurt, don't play him. Right. So it's instead it's like he's doing just kind of like what's the word? Uh, Like he's got these like Byzantine schemes in his head about uh you know, like trying to trying to on one hand like motivate Pettis or whatever, but also uh, substantively penalizing him for some sort of I don't know slight or failure that for some reason Shanahan refuses to name. Like people are asking, like is, is Pettis in the doghouse? He's like, oh no, he's just kind of hurt. Like, well, I don't know. Like I said, don't play him if he's hurt, and if he isn't hurt, play him. He's your best receiver, and I think he's just kind of like spasming basically with his his personnel decisions because last week didn't work any Mm. and uh i don't know why you know you would you would identify pettis as the source of whatever issues there were um if pettis isn't out there i don't really like that lineup a whole lot okay and i don't have any reason to think shanahan is going to do what i think is reasonable so i'm kind of creeped out by the whole thing other than kittle and brita i'm not taking anything for granted there and uh which is too bad because I, I feel like you know things should have worked with like pettis and goodwin leading the way debo samuel actually led all their receivers in snaps last week by a pretty big margin and uh i don't know if there's any theory behind it I, it seems like it's just kind of random stuff okay so weird stuff going on in san francisco right now any final read on the uh, on the spread here Bengals minus two i feel like the Bengals. i mean this is an overreaction perhaps to week one but the things that they did were pretty convincing and it's like Ross Boyd they should they should be a threat to the passing game Dalton played pretty well to give him credit um I don't know I guess Gio Bernard's gonna be interesting if Mixon is out even someone like CJ Ozoma had a big game last week so he's kind of on more on the 12 team radar than I expected uh but yeah I would take the Bengals just because I don't have much faith in the 49ers right now yeah I'm, I'm leaning that way as well which is something I definitely didn't anticipate my saying my, no. myself saying a, a, even a week ago uh, let's jump over to Detroit they will be hosting the Chargers Chargers road favorites in this one two and a half point favorites I don't know how convincing the Chargers are I don't know and they, they I mean they've gotten the classic Chargers just 
terrible injury luck that, I mean, it started a little bit in training camp, but I mean, uh, with Mike Williams having a knee issue, I, I'm not sure what the latest on that is. And then obviously with, with Hunter Henry having the tibial plateau, uh, that's difficult to play tight end on. I mean, Rogers, it was able to grit through it, but he played quarterback last year. So, or quarterback. So yeah, Henry's uh, out. It's totally sure. different. Oh yeah. He's, he's out for a while. So, um, there, there's really no good, like that tight end function is gone. And then the fact that, um, Williams is also hurt. I think that that like really stings because you know it's like they can get by without either Henry or Williams because one of those guys can like make it work in the red zone. But now they're but they're you know at least Henry's out. Um, we don't know what it's up with Williams going to Detroit. Detroit's not great, obviously. They they kind of choked it away against a pretty inferior Arizona team last week. Ended up in a tie. Danny Amendola, one of the great boneheaded plays in in recent memory, uh, refusing to go out of bounds. I mean, outside of Keenan Allen and, and Eckler, what do you like fantasy-wise from this Chargers offense this week? Nothing. Uh, I mean, Travis Benjamin and Dontrell Inman are DFS punt tournament considerations, I guess, just because if Phillip Rivers is throwing the ball, someone has to get the targets, and Keenan Allen and Eckler can only combine for whatever, like 20 targets probably. So if if Rivers throws 35 or more, I'm not betting on Virgil Green getting those. I'm not betting on uh, Justin Jackson going for more than like four or five. So I would guess one of those two receivers gets the targets. I don't know if they'll do anything with it. But it's also, I think, worth keeping in mind that this Detroit defense might actually be pretty good. Okay. As much as the Cardinals played terribly last week, it's at the very least the defensive line is pretty imposing. And that's an issue for specifically the Chargers because their offensive line is a problem. And that the Detroit defensive line is pretty disruptive even though it's also very big it's like trey flowers is one end and uh is it deshaun hand is this is he the detroit guy i can never yeah, he remember he's one of those alabama guys I think they have a couple of them yeah it, oh that's a sean have... robinson as a tackle but mm-hmm. yeah they, they have like an end who's pretty athletic even though he's a big guy but obviously damon harrison is there so uh mike daniels is there too so there's there's some guys who can wreck the pocket if if Rivers isn't really quick with his decision making and even if he is quick he still might be taking a lot of hits. Yeah, so that that is a problem that you know that we talked about with this Chargers team specifically, um, them trying to get by with you know and, and have their playoff aspirations despite having this offensive line that's really rickety and now now like the weapons are are kind of sapped a little bit here so bit of a potential trouble spot here that they are going on the road in, in a dome and i don't think detroit has like a super imposing home field advantage you have a read on the the spread in this one and then i guess what we'll touch on the lines quickly offensively as well i think i'd pick the lions i mean with the chargers favored two and a half um i don't know it's like I, i'm not exactly high on the lions offense and certainly not the coaching i don't know how they let the cardinals back into that game last week but I just feel like that defensive line personnel is pretty concerning for the Chargers to the point that, uh, especially if Williams isn't out there, Eckler might get shut down in the run game, and he's still golden for fantasy because he's just going to get so much usage. But if they can't run at all, 
and Rivers is just getting teed off on and like third and nines over and over. It's like even if he plays a great game, it's it's just a lot that can go wrong in that setup. Yeah, definitely. So so some concern there uh, for the Chargers as far as this Detroit. Uh, let's talk about the the run game specifically. I think we we know that uh, Galladay will be a fine play this week, and uh, looks like Hawkinson is going to be the real deal. He's going to kind of buck that trend of of the rookie tight ends being kind of zeros for fantasy purposes. He looks like he's going to be a staple of this offense, and he looks really good too. Yeah, he's definitely good for his own part, and there's still a risk I think of the Lions kind of just being dumb and putting Jesse James out there to justify his contract and. It won't always be easy to get nine targets to Hawkinson, but he played 64 snaps. So uh, even with James playing 51 in the same game. So I don't know if they can keep that two tight end heaviness. Like maybe if uh, if they were in a catch up script instead of a lead, like the lead they were in last week, maybe it's just Hawkinson uh, and James gets basically subtracted for Amendola or something like that. Yeah, Hawkinson for his own part is definitely really good. The question was only like, are they going to give him more than whatever, 500 snaps a year? And they're definitely on pace to crush that. Okay, so looking good uh, for him. And then how do you think this sets up for the Detroit run game? Well, if I'm right that the Lions have kind of like upset ability in this, then at least one of Carrion Johnson or CJ Anderson should do something. And I guess I'd sooner bet on carry on johnson like i know that uh cj anderson had 11 carries last week but that was to 16 for carry on and they didn't and i don't think they had much reason to get carry on johnson going in the past catching game because it was so easy to hit the receivers and hawkinson like carry on when he gets going as a pass catcher it'll probably have at least something to do with kind of being the check down on a given play and stafford wasn't checking down because hawkinson galladay amandola whoever he wanted he was hitting with ease downfield. So uh, this setting should be different as far as that goes because like Desmond King and uh, Casey Hayward should at least make Stafford check down a little bit more. So I like carry on chances of getting going as a pass catcher. And if he, if he gets 16 carries, you'd normally expect him to do better than 49 yards. So, uh, but if he doesn't do anything, then I would guess Anderson gets like some, you know, trash short yardage touchdown or something like that. Should I, Am I like ready to cut Ty Johnson in in like those like twelve team leagues? Uh, is it like a big bench? Not huge. I don't know. I, I feel like it, if it's it, not a big bench, then I probably would feel free to cut him. But if on the same t- at the same time, if you had a big bench, it's like uh, you know he's good. It's just a question of if the role will ever get there. Whereas like I just yeah. thought that I thought that maybe he would horn in on, on the usage that cj anderson got but i guess at the same time i shouldn't be surprised that cj anderson did get a role i mean they did go out and acquire him this offseason it's not like it was also a joke of a game by any measure even though the the cardinals ended up tying it like it was ugly like like kyler murray was 10 of 27 for 70 yards or something like that going into the fourth quarter and it's like this is this is a cj anderson game if i've ever seen one and it turned out like oh maybe we should have given carry on 20 carries instead of uh 16 maybe maybe we wouldn't have tied the cardinals if we had done that i don't know but uh yeah i think cj anderson's basically the non-competitive situational runner and the guy who goes in if carry on needs a breather or if it's just short yardage that they don't feel like subjecting him to contact on yeah i think so too so um still you know you i wouldn't be worried if i'm if i'm a carry on johnson guy um, I, I think that it'll get better 
uh, from here. Um, let's move on over to the Packers game. Packers minus three at home going up against a Vikings team that looked really, really impressive defensively in, in the first week. But so did the Packers. So I expect this one to be a pretty low scoring affair. We we got a 44 as the over under in this one. The Packers obviously a little bit more rested and they will be at home. This is their home opener going up against Minnesota. What's your read on this one? If the Packers play like they did last week, I don't know how they could win this game. And I don't know, like maybe maybe the Packers have some uh, looks on offense that they, they didn't use last week. Like last week, they were basically a two tight end offense, which I really didn't see that coming. Uh, like Mercedes Lewis was more involved than Geronimo Allison. And as much as that's maybe in theory a way to kind of help the run game and assist the pass blocking, I think it's also just a, a self-limiting uh, kind of approach at the outset. And I, I don't know if it's really gonna work uh because it's like with the vikings defense if, if it's as good as it was two years ago and as good as it looked last week your quarterback isn't going to have any time to throw and your running backs aren't going to have much room to run regardless of how many blockers you put on the field so you might as well i feel like try to get rogers going again as a passer and spreading out the field's probably better as far as that goes than uh, going with a two tight end sort of bunch offense but uh, the green bay defense i'm definitely sold on so that's something worth keeping in mind and especially since they have the home field it's like maybe the Packers offense is bad again but the defense actually exceeds the play of the Minnesota one basically just because they're at home field or I don't know um but the the thing that I I get trouble with is like the Vikings offense looks a lot better to me than the Packers one and even if the Packers defense is great and even if the home field helps in some way in this game it's like do you really want to bet right now on uh whatever aaron jones and Devonte adams versus cook and Thielen and Diggs? and i feel like with kubiak running that offense in minnesota they're more likely to like outplay the circumstances than the packers offense and generally we would still think the vikings defense is the better of these two even if the packers defense is really good so I don't really want to pick the Packers. I, I get like the historical reasoning and like the home field matters, but just in terms of the matchup, I feel like the Vikings are kind of clearly the better team. And we're going to get a fully healthy digs this week. And you know, this is a, this is a Vikings offense that was able to eviscerate the Falcons and only through 10 passes. Yeah. It was over in the first quarter. Yeah. So, uh, Kirk cousins, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, all would have had big games if they had, merely attempted to throw the ball but they didn't need to and i think even if they're in minnesota atlanta's a good team and that showing was pretty impressive by the vikings and meanwhile i i also think it's just um it's more likely that both the bears and packers aren't that good than it is that uh the vikings and the falcons aren't that good so uh i know i know lambo counts for something and it's easier for a player like Kirk Cousins to kind of melt down in a loud road environment like that. But if he doesn't, I feel like he's just got better players and better coaching around him. Yeah, so I'm kind of uh, leaning towards the Vikings on, on this one as well. And, you know, obviously that game, being up in Lambeau Field, we're in Madison, so that's actually a game that I'm kind of considering maybe maybe finding a way to get there. And I think one of the ways that I could do that 
is by going to SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. That's especially true at Lambeau. Awesome game day experience there. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple sites ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports to concerts to comedy and theater. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop tickets. I actually just use SeatGeek. Uh, there's a concert in town coming up here uh, in a couple weeks. Lizzo is coming to town oh. so, uh, over at the Sylvie. So uh, use SeatGeek to uh, to pr- acquire some some tickets from my girlfriend and myself. So that's going to be a great night. So shout out to SeatGeek for making that a pretty easy uh, experience there. There are lots of great events. Obviously, that, that concert, uh, this Packers game, and tons more out there. So uh, best of all, my listeners can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase of $30 or more. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code ROTONFL today. That's promo code ROTONFL for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase of $30 or more. SeatGeek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, let's keep moving uh, on in, into Sunday's slate. We got Houston uh, playing host to the Jaguars. Gardner Minshew uh, mania in full effect, in full swing. I'm in and on it. How are you feeling? Uh, he's one case where I just have I have no idea, and I I got to really make clear like I know at best the exactly the same amount as anybody else, and quite possibly I know the least about it because I just I don't know what I don't know how to evaluate Washington State quarterbacks. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much of that really good game that he had off the bench would have maybe been to kind of the, the Chiefs' pass defense being bad. I don't really know. Uh, I don't think he could possibly be as good as his numbers are in that game, but at the same time, they're numbers that are so good that it's it seems unlikely that he's useless, you know? So And also, that offense kind of might have a lot of talent on it, uh, not so much on the offensive line necessarily, and I don't know what the deal with Cam Robinson is. He missed that game in week one. But, uh, yeah, with DJ Chark, Chris Conley, that's a ton of speed. Like, D.D. Westbrook is the slow receiver now, and he's like a 4-4 flat kind of guy. That's wild. Yeah, so Chark and Conley, they maybe both had their biggest uh, games of the respective season in week one, but I don't think they're going to just disappear now, uh, and I think – uh, you know, with Marone is a pretty up-tempo pass happy kind of guy, or at least he was at Syracuse. And at times he's shown that tendency with Jacksonville, like they've, they've had pretty up-tempo, uh, histories with Blake Bortles. So if Minshew can, you know, just not screw up too bad, it's like he might get decent volume and he might have good fast players working with the targets that he gives them. So yeah, certainly in like a super flex and certainly two quarterback leagues, he could have pretty big currency attached to him for the next uh, two months or whatever. And uh, yeah, I hope he keeps it going. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to think. I have no idea what expectations are reasonable, but 
Hopefully he keeps it rolling, if only because I'm substantially invested in uh, Westbrook, Conley, and Chark. Yes, I, I have some Conley, and I went, to, I moved in a lot of places to to pick him up. Uh, obviously, Dede Westbrook was not a, a waiver guy, and I wasn't quite as interested in Chark as I was in Conley. So, as long as Minshew can keep the, those guys afloat, I think that that uh, the arrow is pointing upwards uh, there. How does this match up against this Texans defense that looked, you know, it? it I can't describe how like poorly they managed the end of that that saints game and also is jj watt washed up um i mean he Am might I allowed to say that yeah or at least ask it i mean it's not patriotic to say that but you're allowed uh he jj he, he'd want you to have that right but uh it is one game and i don't know the saints offensive line is good like Ramchick was probably who he was going against yeah it was a battle of wisconsin guys with giant elbow th- things on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it was awesome um but yeah they uh, ramshick is probably one of the best linemen in the league and uh with watt also it's one of those things where it's like you never know when that guy's playing hurt or something uh he's got so much like cyborg paraphernalia strewn about his frame yes and he does yeah he's half man half machine yeah it's like he's just he's just carrying three or four fractures at a time in any <laughs> given moment and uh you know, taping his ligaments back in place, things like things like that. So uh, I don't know, but the the defense, I don't. I just kind of hate the Houston's pass defense and the defense generally. Even though I like certain players, like Reed, the safety seems pretty good, but the corners, uh, not so good. Like they cut Aaron Colvin, who was their kind of expensive slot corner free agent signing from Jacksonville. And uh, they just like cut him after week one because they were just Bill O'Brien's just on one right now. He's boy is he's, he? Uh, he's on one, folks. Um, and I I don't know if we can expect them to play particularly well, but I don't think those corners can cover those guys. And if they can't, and if Minshew's any good, uh, I don't think the pass rush would be so strong for Houston that uh, you know it would be a, a, a collapse scenario for Minshew. So. I feel like it should keep rolling and uh Fournette gets a tough draw against the run defense like the the run defense part of the Houston defense is good but if Minshew's moving the ball through the air then Fournette might get scoring opportunities to offset that and more so I feel like Jacksonville should score points in this one and if the defense especially if the defense looks like it did last week it's like we would expect Deshaun Watson to force the issue from his part so I feel like this there could be some points in this game as long as the Jacksonville defense doesn't overwhelm Watson and Watson is not often overwhelmed. No, he's he's not. So I, I imagine that he'll get this offense uh, still rolling and it looks like the, the back issue he was kind of dealing with during Monday night's game is no longer a factor. Uh, the game has a pretty low over-under of 43.5. So I think more than anything, it, there's a lot of points to be trusting a Bill O'Brien-led team at, at nine points, uh, even at home, even against a backup rookie quarterback. But 43.5, I think, is definitely an over that I would be considering. Uh, for this weekend and obviously uh you know your your hopkins your your will fullers of the world uh all interesting and all of all of them in play for this weekend all right let's move on to a, a spread that is probably as lopsided as, as we'll see this year uh the patriots giving 18 and a half to uh i'm doing air quotes the miami dolphins yeah uh the dolphins are bad uh, and they would have been bad even if the players cared and there's no reason for them to care the evil empire is coming to town and they know they stand no chance if they can if brian flores can get them to put forth even a quarter of effort i will be pretty impressed 
So garbage time should be there. That might be good for maybe Kenyon Drake, but if not, it should be good for Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. Maybe Alan Hearns, I guess, even. He was the he was the slot replacement when Albert Wilson got hurt last week. So if Albert Wilson's out, Hearns would be the slot guy in that case. Uh, Parker and Williams got going a little bit. Jakeem Grant actually played more than Preston Williams, but I don't, I'm kind of skeptical that he's a real NFL receiver. So, uh, if you're, if your DFS punt plays, uh, are looking, you're looking for a receiver, like maybe Parker, maybe Williams, but otherwise, uh, just certain doom is what I mostly see for the dolphins. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say one thing and going out on a limb, I probably wouldn't use the dolphins defense in DFS either. I wouldn't do that either. Yeah. But as far as the, this Patriots offense goes, a lot of people kind of freaking out about their Sony Michelle shares and also a lot of people freaking out in, in the good way about what they have in what looks like a, a man, a beast in Josh Gordon, too. Yeah, uh, that was, on the one hand, really insanely bad defense by the Steelers. Sure. But it's it's also nice to know. Well, if he plays against an insanely bad defense, he will score against it. And, you know, sometimes sometimes we can't take as many things for granted as we'd like to. And you can take that for granted with Gordon now. And, uh, of course, he's he looked imposing. Uh, Philip Dorsett had a really great game. It seems like an embarrassment of riches somehow uh, after like a month ago <laughs> or something. We were talking about Maurice Harris. Like, is it going to be Maurice Jacobi Harris or Myers. Braxton Berrios? Who are you going with this year? Who's your guy? <laughs> and uh, You got to pick one. Yeah, so I, I'm still kind of processing it. And honestly, I, I don't even want to think about it. I hate those people so much. And I it's, do too. It's so just egregious. How does it get be- How is it still this good? It's just, ugh. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, their defense is good too, so uh, they should just kind of suffocate this Dolphins team from every angle. And somebody's going to do something with the Patriots offense. I would generally kind of defer to Michelle, I guess, uh, just because I can imagine him getting like three touchdowns on 10 carries, uh, even if he only gets 10 carries, because Rex Burkhead, of course, played a lot last week, which is annoying. Uh, but uh, he'll you know and even more of a laugher in this game you would expect him to push for 40 or more percent again yeah i, th- I think so too so um yeah this uh, this game i think it feels like the patriots hanging at least 30 in the in the dolphins scoring less than 10 points yeah i don't i i think they'll maybe get shut out i don't know it's it's hard to see like it would just be an accident basically if they scored a single point you in know this game. And, and like the you know the the small smattering of oh the the Patriots struggle in Miami. It's like this is this is this Miami team. Like I said at the beginning of the show, just kind of not applicable. This is not the same. Yeah, and it's, it's also it's going against like, one of his uh, his former predis- or proteges uh, and Brian Flores, and he always likes to kind of dunk on those guys. So I think that this this could get just remarkably ugly and even worse if Antonio Brown plays right the Patriots struggled against the Miami Dolphins as the Miami Dolphins were a sports team and now they're more like uh, a really dark uh, kind of dark energy flash mob kind of thing like they just (laughs) show up on Sundays they show up in a stadium all dressed the same way for some reason But they're not really a football team. They're just kind of doing some weird performance art thing, like from hell. And 
I don't know. I just don't think I don't see I don't see again other than like the the long tournament shot dart of someone like Preston Williams or Devontae Parker maybe getting you the extended garbage time touchdown. Everything else here is just going to be affirmation of what we know is true and that's there is no hope and uh, the Patriots will soon acquire us as he, like the rights to our humanity they'll consume eventually at this rate yep these are just i mean that's just the way the world is uh trending right now you love to see it we do um so with that we'll uh we'll shift on to the bills going to the giants giants looked pretty miserable although the cowboys looked really good at the same they're time. gonna be the team i think that takes the nfc if they keep looking that way because they right? kellen moore i mean don't get me wrong i still think jerry jones and jason garrett are buffoons but they actually and this is shocking to me they seem to let kellen moore really take control of that offense like full autonomy of the offense and that was not a dallas offense that was not a jason garrett offense out there that was like sean mcveigh could learn a thing or two from the way that offense was called by Moore in that game like it honestly felt to me analogous to um, the way that LSU has been playing the, this year, just like oh, ha- yeah. hanging, hanging up ridiculous amounts of points, playing fast, like not not an insane like beat you up run game. They're like doing it through the air. That's sort of what what this Cowboys one is, where it's like it's disorienting how like modern and and like polished it's this futuristic offense is now. now. Yeah, yeah, and that's very far from where they were almost on the cutting edge back in like 2007 or whenever Garrett was first the offensive coordinator there before he became conservative as a head coach but more was like that level of aggression and also with like a lot in a lot more information behind it like he clearly figured things out like he he knows what he's doing he knows where the weakness is and he knows how to get there and and i mean Dak prescott was a quarterback who was always good in my opinion but it's it was kind of jarring in that game to see what he looks like in a favorable offense because he was he was just murderously good and this is a tougher test against Washington because that pass rush is at least a little imposing. But they're down Jonathan Allen, I think, already. Okay. And uh, they might be down their second and third corners who were already bad. And, like, Josh Norman's great. But uh, with how Randall Cobb and Michael Gallup looked last week. Gallup. Who, yeah, whoever those, Dang. whoever the new second and third Washington corners are, they're in trouble if, uh, if Dak doesn't just – you know misses targets really badly he'll probably have targets you know that that are within range and i think you know ezekiel elliott's just going to pick up steam from this point onward and it's also kind of crazy to wonder what's going to happen with him eventually because it's like he was putting up those huge numbers in dallas but again in the stupid atavistic offenses that just kind of were you know almost like embracing uh simplicity and the like like as a hostility toward thought kind of thing like they're just like let's get back to basics and run into the teeth of the defense 90 times a game yeah this could now look like an improved version for him as like he might 2017 be 2017 like, girly but like better he might be like uh yeah it's, it's just like what what if zeke was in an offense where uh the defense didn't stack against the run and that might be what he's in now like they're gonna of course try to shut him down but if Dak keeps playing like this you're going to have to just put nickel out there all the time and worry about the pass first because they'll just keep killing you deep so cowboys minus five and a half in that one yeah yes yeah uh i mean i I know it might be overreacting to one week but 
more explains the difference. If it is, if it was the same team as ever and the same decision making, the same play callers as ever, I would have looked at a game like that and thought like, oh well, that's kind of a fluke. Dallas doesn't score like that normally. But more explains the difference. And big time. If, if he keeps if he keeps running it like he has been. Uh, I don't think there's any defense that can slow them. I don't either. So I, I'm on the Cowboys in that one as well. And, you know, Washington for, you know, for to their credit that they really put a scare into Philadelphia last week and Terry McLaurin looks like he's going to be. Yeah. How about Keenum? I mean, he, apparently he's a good fit for the Jay Gruden offense and uh, Dallas's defense isn't exactly great or anything. So Washington could make a shootout of it, I guess. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. So that, that over under sits at 46 and a half. Um, that'll be actually kind of a fun game. I'm looking forward to that one and that, you know, the rivalry context of that a little bit um, as well. Uh, so Bills Giants, we don't, I don't think that there's a ton to go over here. Bills one and a half point favorites on the road. Uh, 44 point uh, is the over under. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, they're they're such a weird team because like we talked, I think we talked about it last week. Like Josh Allen matchups probably don't really matter for him because the plays that where things go well are just kind of wacky, uh, not necessarily scripted. And uh, you know if if it's if it's if it bounces the right way, Allen has you know the touchdowns, and if it goes the wrong way, it's it's turnovers and sacks. So. Depends on which way that the ball bounces with him, and I don't see any reason to think the Giants will just get buried in this, so I think I'd sooner pick them to win, and they, they need to get Barkley the ball more. He looked insane against Dallas. Like, I know he always looks good, but it, it was it was really frustrating that they didn't get him the ball more, and I think a Buffalo script will make it easier for them to, to get Barkley the ball yeah, up it, to 30 times. They won't be able to, or they won't have reason to fully abandon the run on right. Sunday. Yeah, so I, th- I think Barkley probably gets a lot of usage in this one. It's a really tough Buffalo defense, but Barkley is just kind of a different category. Yeah, and it's at home, and again, like I, I don't expect the Bills to, to blow them out of the water. Also didn't expect the Bills to blow the Vikings out of the water last year, so again, it, kind of to your point. That, that was my that original can, Seahawks versus Bengals. I was yeah. definitely one of those people that was just like, man josh allen's gonna lose by four he might retire like yeah. yeah after one game but um oh well uh, i i i can curse anything so I, I try not to make i'll the, the seattle game is the last time i'll say anything like that okay and speaking of seattle uh they are going to pittsburgh to face a steelers team that's totally licking its wounds right now i mean that they are four point favorites at home but boy they looked i mean it is sort of reminded me of um, the early parts of Waterboy, where where Henry Winkler was just completely dominated by by uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. By, by the other coach that that you know stole his playbook or whatever. That's kind of what that felt like. And uh, the uh, Bobby uh, was it Bobby Bowden looking guy. Yes, they, they, yeah, that was that was such a that, great those are casting. my plays now. <laughs> that is Bobby Bowden. That you can't my, convince me that that's another guy. Um, but yeah, that's I, I I feel like yeah, Pittsburgh is in a weird place right now and. I, I don't I think it's not necessarily their fault last week and the Patriots might just be you know infallible at this point and Seattle meanwhile looks quite fallible almost losing at home to the Bengals like even if the Bengals are good they shouldn't have been in that position Schottenheimer and Carroll should throw the ball more but they're going to refuse to even after Andy Dalton of all people comes to their house and puts up big numbers because his coach just decides to throw the ball and, and move quickly in a game where they barely won by one point and Russell Wilson still only threw 20 pass attempts, 
Like if they can't learn from that, they they just can't. They're not capable of learning. And uh, I think that if they do that stuff against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh, Roethlisberger is unlikely to let them off the hook for it. Okay, so Roethlisberger bounce back game. Yeah, James Conner probably too. I think um, when it came to to Moncrief, and I, I'm fairly invested in Moncrief, and he he himself said it was the worst game he's ever played. I I hope I agree. I hope that was the worst he's ever played. That was insanely bad. Yeah, uh, he. I guess he's playing with a dislocated finger, but that's one of those things where it's like even if it explains the issue, it also ensures that it keeps being an issue. It's not. It's not like a, a, I had a stomach bug that day. It's like, oh no, my finger's like broke, and I have to catch passes with it. Yeah, and so it's like unless they have the magic finger fixing cryo chamber sort of thing that that Moncrief could use in between that game and this one. He might have the same troubles that explain his his past struggles. So I don't know what to make of him and the juju injury is concerning, I guess. But that was great. Just end of the game. Keep him out there. Sure. Why not? Yeah, you don't want to give in. That's uh, that's weak as hell. Yeah, you, want, get you want to kick those field goals down several possessions, you know. Points Gr- on the board. Grind down your ligaments deep into the fourth quarter down by 40 or Do else it. you're letting the terrorists win. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know... I don't know what to defer to here other than Roethlisberger being at home. And as much as he's not a sympathetic character, he is a pretty convincing competitor. And if he isn't checked out, then I think he'll put something together in this game. And if he can't put something together for this game, then he, he might actually be like trending downward for good given his point in his career that he's at. Yeah, exactly. So, um, we need to see some signs of life uh, from the Steelers offense. Uh, hopefully uh, that comes across this week. Uh, let's get on to the Titans uh, going up against Indianapolis. Uh, Titans three-point favorites. Titans obviously one of the more surprising performances from week one. Just they got going up and They did. Uh, they yeah. went ahead and thrashed the, the Browns. The Browns really kind of handed the game to them, and they just kind of took it and ran with it. Um, there's a ton of the public on the the Titans in this one at three and a half, and I'm definitely taking Indy to uh, win, not, okay. just, not just cover. But I said I think I said that last week too. But they did cover, right? We we it was six and a half. They did, point, yeah, okay, they, so, yeah. When it went to overtime, like I just did the Antonio Banderas, <laughs> like looking at the computer gif. Yeah, just so you can you can you can go get that money, start spending now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think um, like Brissett wasn't great in that game. But the Chargers have a pretty tough corner rotation, and the pass rush is definitely dangerous out there. So T.Y. Hilton did the heaviest lifting, but I also feel like in this particular game, I just don't think the Colts' defense is going to get rocked by the Titans. Like the, I think it still is true to say that the Titans' offense will generally kind of just, kind of just recede and, and just kind of you know curl up into a ball and run out the clock and not do a whole lot if you just don't let derrick henry make big plays and he's i think henry's really good i'm not i'm not saying like the the browns just laid down last week but the colts are very good about swarming and just kind of they're they're well schemed on defense with aberflus running things there and i i just don't think that uh like especially coming off a game where the the titans need like 15 penalties on the browns to do what they did it's like that that game was pretty much down to the wire even though it was a 30 point thing it was just it was basically like the wire point had crossed 
and there was still just enough time for the Browns to like turn it over immediately and for the Titans to get another you know get and then with penalties moving the ball up to scoring range every time they get it pretty much so that was one of the weirder games I can remember watching and this one should be more typical and if it is I feel like the Colts are just much better run. Like Vrabel has no idea what's going on. He 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 does not know how last week happened, and like he he'll gladly take it, but he doesn't know how to get back there. I, I think Reich knows what to do. Yes, and, and to your point, you know the the, the good scheme on, on the defense side for Indianapolis uh, this week. You know maybe that this Titans offense doesn't get a bunch of long touchdowns this time around. Can they survive and function without those big plays? Um, I'm not so certain of that, and and obviously Indianapolis. You know the the viral clip, uh, the the weekly viral clip of uh, Quentin Nelson just absolutely smashing somebody, uh, just further emboldens the point that Indianapolis, even if they don't have Andrew Luck anymore, they still have a very physical run game that's you know going to be one of the best in the league. Marlon Mack leading the way for that, so I, I like Indianapolis this week too. Especially if if the public is that tilted over onto uh, Tennessee, then I, I think that I would have to go Indy that way. Yeah, I think it's people looking at the final score and kind of just not wondering how it happened. And they're like completely forgetting the evidence of all of last year and how you know poor the Titans looked over the course of the season. I think so. Yeah, uh, and also it's like se- that seventy-five-yard touchdown for Derrick Henry. E- even as a Henry truther, it's like that's not happening. Like, it, if it's not happening, then Mariota's even in that game down to just seven yards a pass again. And it's like if you know that's the, what they're going to do, it's just hard to see how you you need off you need to turn the ball over on offense in your own territory to explain you know falling behind. Uh, by more than like one score at a, in a given game to the Titans, the way they operate. Exactly, exactly. So I don't see that a similar result here in week two. Uh, before we jump into the afternoon games and, and wrap up the pod here, we got a message from our friends over at Fantasy Draft. FantasyDraft.com would like to bring you an important message about Rake. Are you tired of paying high fees to play daily fantasy? Did you know that over time, these fees called Rake can cost daily fantasy players over 30% of their bankroll? As daily fantasy sites continue to raise rake, prize pools are being squeezed more and more, making it harder and harder for players like you to win. More rake just means more money lining the pockets of the big DFS sites and less money for for the players. But change has arrived. Fantasy Draft has changed the game by bringing you rake-free daily fantasy. That's right. You're now able to play your favorite contest without paying any rake. On Fantasy Draft, 100% of the entry fees will be paid out to our contest winners 100% of the time. Playing your favorite contests rake-free on Fantasy Draft will save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars in rake every month. Rake-free daily fantasy is truly a game changer. Just imagine what playing on Fantasy Draft is going to do for your bankroll. Register at FantasyDraft.com today to take part in the rake-free revolution. Use promo code RWNFL to receive a free seven-day trial. All right, let's quickly jump into the afternoon uh, slate for Sunday. We got the Chiefs uh, taking on the Raiders. The Raiders are at home, but the Chiefs, seven-point favorites in this one. Yeah, the Raiders, I, I don't know if it's just the Broncos are insanely bad. or if I, think it's, Ra- I think it's more the Broncos. I think so, too, but you know, credit where it's due. Carr definitely played a really good game. Oh, Tyrell yeah. Williams looked great. It's hard to see why they wouldn't have volume in this game. I don't know what script occurs where those two don't get the usage to just get yardage, if nothing else. But the Chiefs' past defense looked kind of concerning, as it has for years. And I think that, uh, yeah, Tyrell 
has to be one of the top ranked receivers this week given the script that he's he's getting in this game i don't know if we can bank on jacobs getting anywhere near the carry volume that he did last week and the ideal script that he had last week but he also could stand to do a lot more as a pass catcher so even if he's capped at like 12 or 15 carries he might go for five or six catches in this game and uh, darren waller big green light of course uh and then the chiefs yeah it's uh I think we're, I'm going to have to go at Hardman in the tournaments in DFS and and with Watkins, of course, because I'm, I'm definitely a Sammy believer. Would you uh, start like of those like trendy pickups from this week? Your, your Chris um, Chris Conley's, your, your um, Terry McLaurin's, and and Miko. Is Miko number one of guys that you would start? You think probably or? two behind McLaurin, just because um, McLaurin played more snaps than I think anybody but Trey Quinn on that offense, so he's ahead of Richardson already. Okay, wow. And uh, I mean, I I do like Case Keenum as a deep ball passer, so I feel like he's going to keep hitting that throw if McLaurin keeps getting open. And Jake Rudin uh, is one of the best schematic guys in the league uh, among offensive coaches. So I think McLaurin can keep it rolling and he doesn't have the, uh, you know, the, the, the scheduled timer going off in six weeks. Like whenever Tyreek Hill comes back, it's like Miko might not really do anything the rest of the year, but, uh, McLaurin could be the number one receiver on Washington through week 17. Okay. So that, that's an interesting sticking point, but at least for week two, uh, you would, would you start Miko and like your flex probably? I think he's definitely uh, worth that start. I don't know if like you, you don't need to like move a good player out of your offense to make room for Hardman, but if you if Hardman's looking like your best option, I'm not worried about I mean, it. It's, I like, mean, it's, it's such a good setup. We're talking about a a Chiefs offense that you know has the highest implied total uh, outside of the Patriots on the board. You know, a game that's 53 and a half in, in the over under, but a seven point spread, so it should be you know competitive to where like the the chiefs aren't taking their foot off the gas again with, with hill being out you you figure that at first things maybe funnel a little bit more towards Watkins and kelsey but i think hardman you don't need a ton of volume for what he does i think he's going to be um, a guy that just kind of just makes it work on four catches yeah i don't think this guy is any good but it also needs to be mentioned that demarcus robinson will be playing a lot in this game so he's going to be out there and Mahomes is going to do the damage he always does or you know more or less uh my doomed predictions aside and if if Mahomes is throwing for a lot then just whoever's out there is a candidate to go with yeah I I think so too so uh that should be a really fun offensive game late Sunday um we got the Fangio revenge game so disappointed in Fangio I was he, he gave some good quotes and I really like the way he's run his defenses over the decades but uh he seemed utterly clueless against this, this smell it doesn't smell completely like Jim Tom Sula time but I mean it's not good it's, it's not good. we're still figuring out whether the smell is poisonous or not but we know it's it smells unnatural and it's not good and like we should probably get some fresh air get out of the house instead of just a sitting in this this garage with this <laughs> with the alien smell yeah um so yeah i don't i don't have any hope for fangio at this point i mean the denver home field early in the year especially can make things weird but that would just be more to do with the bears failing on their own if if so so uh i don't really want anything to do with this game but alan robinson i guess is the guy if i'm going at anyone in particular yeah because you know it's it's funny that we you know just beat up on the broncos a little bit there 
because the the Bears, we we almost like ran through that cycle already uh, with how bad that they looked on opening night uh, last Thursday. Um, so they, they've they've almost like kind of hit a reset button here, and we we almost forgot about how bad that they looked offensively against this Packers team. So that the Broncos. I don't know if their defense is going to be as good as the Packers over the course of the season. Uh, it is at home. It is in Denver. Um, so that that does alter things. I think that you kind of summed it up well where it's like this is not an offense that I don't that I really want parts of outside of Robinson, especially uh, for this week. Yeah, if you are a David Montgomery owner, I think you can feel reasonably optimistic about it. It would normally be a bad matchup going into Denver this time of the year, but they seem so utterly hopeless. And I feel like the Bears defense should uh, be able to take advantage of Flacco enough. He's terrible. Yeah, he sucks. Um, but they should, you know, Montgomery, I think, will play more over the course of the year. Like, I don't think last week we'll keep repeating. No, I don't, I don't either. So the, the Bears should get that sorted out, and maybe maybe that starts this week. Uh, Rams hosting New Orleans? Yeah, I don't know what to make of Malcolm Brown, Todd Gurley, but it wouldn't be surprising if they were kind of trying to save Gurley a little more for a game like this one. And uh, even though Malcolm Brown had like nine carries to Gurley's eight at one point last week, they clearly went heavily toward Gurley for the closer role. And in a game like this, it's like you need the closer the whole time or as much as you can give him because you're not going to have a closer that you need to use if you don't. Okay, so my like big takeaway was less that I'm like concerned about Gurley and you had the the smell out for for Brown like all summer. Um, (sighs) If I'm a Henderson guy, though, I'm... I am panicking. Yeah, I I didn't see this. To be, so to be fair, two snaps. Right. No, I I'm no sorry. I mean, um, I didn't see the Malcolm Brown versus Henderson outcome coming. No. I thought it would be like the way I was looking at it was, and I still I still believe Daryl Henderson is good, and he sure. I think will make an impact later in the year. But there's no doubt for the price that he was going to be in the role that he currently has is just not acceptable like he he would have needed to be malcolm brown's price in drafts and malcolm brown should have been daryl henderson's price and i did not see this particular thing coming and i I thought henderson would do more so i'm kind of wrong the only way that it worked out okay for me is because uh even as a henderson fan i was also at the same time like well malcolm brown is so damn cheap it's like what, what do you even have to think about it's like just just take him he's in the 17th 16th round who cares? It, you know, it could be good. And if it's not, it's your 16th or 17th round pick. You're, you're taking like, oh God, I, I wish I could remember some of the players that would go ahead of him. But uh, it was like, well, I'll just take the guy who at least is in the Rams offense. The guy that was doing Gronk irony. Uh, Gronk irony? Yeah, like yeah, I'm, I'll take Gronk as a as my last. Oh right, last right, right. Fl- last <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but also just some terrible running backs. Like I, I, I can't even remember what they were. But um, Malcolm Brown was always too cheap. Like I, that was definitely always true. And uh, I, I should have had a better sense of that. Henderson was too expensive. But it, I was kind of like uh, maybe both, but definitely Brown. And I should have been like, no, not Henderson, only Brown. All right. So what happens in this game? Uh. I'm a little concerned about the Rams just because I don't think Goff is good. I, I never really did, but I thought that McVay could cover it up, and it, I don't know how true that is bearing out. And uh, I don't know, Kamara big game, and Latavius Murray I think gets uh, the, the flex return in this one. Obviously, you don't overthink anything with Michael Thomas. He's he's just golden any particular week that Breeze is playing. So uh, it, it's... Uh, 
I think a setting where cooks can get going a little bit more, especially if they uh, get him away from Lattimore a little bit. But uh, I feel like, I don't know, the, the Saints defense, I guess, was nothing particularly special they gave up a lot to carlos hyde who i'm still not really buying they got they got after the quarterback but like i think that the rams have a much better offensive line than the Texans. yeah i think that's just the houston uh the four linemen on the right just still being bad even though tonsil is there uh but yeah if if they defend the run like they did against houston then Gurley should get going I th- yeah i think so t- i mean they made like you're saying like carlos hyde looked pretty good against this this saints defense so yeah. Gurley, i think could, could absolutely go off in this one so that's going to be a fun game i envision the rams i think they're going to win this one uh i understand that the golf concerns obviously he's the worst quarterback in the, in this matchup but I, I think the rams overall i think over the course of the game and and that being at home i think i'll take them yeah i will too all right let's move on to the night night games uh the eagles one and a half point favorites uh in atlanta going up against the falcons i mean you gotta have to like to believe in the falcons this week i think you need to like throw out last week completely i don't i don't like it was so ugly for them yeah i mean the vikings defense is good and there have been countless times throughout nfl history where a team lost one game in a year and it didn't it wasn't indicative of what they were uh, over the course of the, the broader season. And uh, yeah, if you're going to have a game like that, having it against a really tough team like the Vikings on the road is is one of those cases where it's like, well, at least it was them. At least we didn't you know blow it to the whatever, the, the Broncos or something or the Raiders. Um, but yeah, going back to Atlanta helps. And I don't think the Philadelphia defense is anything like the Minnesota one. And specifically, the pass defense was pretty bad. Like as good as Case Keenum was and Terry McLaurin last week, like the Eagles did not cover well. Uh, Russell Douglas can't run with Julio Jones. Like no one can, but it's like that guy is like a safety tweener for a reason. And McLaurin just dusted him. So uh, don't. And then meanwhile, uh, Darby or whoever it was wasn't looking so great on the other side either. So I feel like Julio is going to get going. Ridley too, maybe Sanu, maybe all of them. Uh, especially because the the Eagles' run defense looks good again. And Devontae Freeman, if he struggles in this game, be it because of a uh, you know the script not giving him a lot of carries or the carries that he does get not going very far. It might just be a game where the Falcons kind of have an upper end, an upper range, like uh, aggregate offensive output, but just disproportionately done by Matt Ryan in the passing game. So I think everybody from uh, Julio, Ridley, Sanu to Hooper are big time green light, even though it's kind of, even though you kind of know they can't all hit. Okay. And then on the Eagle side of things, obviously you're starting Wentz if you have him. What, what else? Oh, Miles Sanders is a good flex play, I think. And I, th- I I know it's not a maybe a little less so for Howard, just because you can imagine Philadelphia passing a little bit more in this one if Atlanta is making it a game. And uh, but yeah, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey, like they're, they're guys that, you know, you're locking in more or less. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Falcons thing before. It's like they can't all hit, but they all have good enough odds of doing it in any given week. You just keep rolling with them and, and accept the fluctuations. Yeah, so that, that's a that's a good read on <clears throat> on the Eagles. Uh, I think that 
yeah, that, that'll be a fun uh, Sunday night game. The last couple of times that they've played has been interesting, uh, to say the least. That, that playoff game, particularly uh, from two seasons ago, the Eagles Super Bowl run, uh, that, that game was pretty wild. All right, let's round things out. The Monday night game, uh, the money, I'm sure, is pouring in on the Browns, and, and the line has moved with Sam Darnold. Apparently, he's a freshman in college. Yeah, this is this is so ridiculous. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, mono by twelve. All right, yeah. and uh, by mono I mean the Browns. It's just, uh, what do you even say about the Jets? They are, they're, you know, their pets' heads are falling it's off. It's improbable. Like it's, it's just they don't, they haven't missed a beat in this this stupid song they've been, you know, performing in front of us. Like they're just the the like an amazing virtuoso of uh, like drum solo of just stupidity and just like, it's just never, they got like the full Neil Pert drum set of, of like ways to screw up. Yeah. They keep bringing out these guest cameos from other bands and it like, they, they get in on it and it's like, you thought, you thought it was just like, Oh, we're going to lose because we're bad. Like, no, we're going to lose because we're bad and we have chicken pox and, (laughs) and we're wicked stupid. Yeah. So I did, it sucks because like i like darnold i don't i don't this actually does suck like mono cannot be fun and uh he's not playing for like i don't know like two months probably he might yeah he might you're gonna lose like like 20 pounds yeah he's already lost five pounds they said that's like probably just water or something like uh yeah it's it sounds bad like it's not good and trevor simeon uh you know couldn't happen to a nicer guy and you know i i if they're going to be terrible, if they must be cursed, if Flavian Bell and his shoulder must be a problem, not that I, I don't know what the the situation is there. I, I'm glad that a scab like Simeon is there to uh, conduct this this hell ride. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, that'll do it for today's Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.